You are listening to Matter of Theology, a podcast production that deals with church and cultural issues from a biblical standpoint. We stand firm on the sufficiency of Scripture, hitting every topic with an open Bible and the boldness to say things that others are afraid to. And now, here's the host of Matter of Theology, Chris Huff. Thank you so much for tuning in to Matter of Theology, the place where theology matters because everything is a matter of theology. My name is Chris. I am your host. And uh, if you weren't aware, Matter of Theology is a podcast production that seeks to apply uh, biblical issues to all areas of life. Um, as, As I just said, because everything is a matter of theology, we are, of course, a part of the Bar Podcast Network. That is the Biblical and Reformed Podcast Network, headed up by our brother and friend, Mr. Dwayne Atkinson. And in this episode of Matter of Theology, I have the immense uh, privilege and pleasure of being joined uh, by one of the members of the translation team for the Legacy Standard Bible. Now, uh, for you guys who have been listening to Matter of Theology for recently, uh, you know that that the Legacy Standard Bible is the preferred translation of Matter of Theology. Uh, There are many, many great translations out there. However, one of the things that we have discovered with the release of the LSB is its commitment to uh, consistency, uh, purity as it relates to authorial intent and um, uh, the the original languages, which of course is the inspired text. So uh, I have the privilege today of being joined by Dr. William Varner. Dr. Varner uh, is a professor at the Master's University. Uh, So Dr. Varner, first and foremost, thank you very much for your time, sir. Thank you, Chris. It's an honor to be with you on this uh, significant podcast, and I mean that. Well, brother, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. So, uh, brother, if you wouldn't mind, just, just uh, man, just give anybody listening kind of, man, your, your background. Who is Dr. William Varner? Uh, family, ministry, history, and, and your role at, at TMU. Uh, and, and my friend, I'll just give you the floor. Well, thank you. Uh, Let me just begin at the beginning, and I'll just be brief. I grew up in South Carolina, which is sometimes called the Bible, uh, the buckle on the Bible belt, which doesn't mean much. (laughs) But uh, uh, apart from the fact that many people that I grew up with were Southern Baptist and Methodist, I was nothing. My parents uh, never went to church. Uh, she sent me off to Southern Baptist Sunday School a few times, but uh, that did not last. And I got real smart, <laughs> teenage years, smarter than God, and said, uh, you know, I don't need uh, Church of the Lord. But not until I, my life was rocked uh, at the age of 16 with my 41-year-old father dying of a massive heart attack unexpectedly. Uh, and uh, for the first time, I thought about beyond the things beyond this life we right. to live with my godly christian grandparents mm-hmm. and i began attending a church for the really the first time in my young life and there around the age of 17 i came to faith uh in jesus christ at a, a, a little church in spartanburg south carolina called church of the open door and uh then i went off to bob jones university for four years Then I went up to the northeastern section of the United States, well, actually mid-Atlantic, Philadelphia, Mm. and went to seminary there and did all of my rest of my graduate work there uh, in universities in and around Philadelphia. Worked, uh, I was a pastor for seven years uh, Mm. in in Pennsylvania, and then 
had the great privilege, uh, Chris, of working with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. Wow. Teach the Jewish people. Uh, I had gained a uh, master's degree in Jewish studies along the way and uh, had a wonderful time working with them for 17 years. Uh, and of course, my burden about the Messiah and uh, his role was deepened in my work with Jewish people. Oh, I'm sure. Then in 1996, I uh, was asked to come out to Masters University to head up our campus in Israel. I directed the campus in Israel, but also uh, teaching here at the Masters University. And that's where I've been for the last 25 years and uh, just uh, have had a joyful ministry in that regard. Yes, sir. Wow. Thank you so much uh, for, for sharing that. Uh, you and I have uh, similar stories when it comes to uh, the, the time in our lives when we, huh. when the Lord saved us, I was 18, okay. uh, you were 17 and um, that, that, that's amazing. So I also read um, in, because of your ministry um, uh, background in history, you have, you have been to Israel, was it over 50 times? Chris, you do your research, brother. Yes, sir. I try to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've been there 51 times, Chris, uh, first as a tourist and then 50 times as a tour guide and wow. taking uh, uh, students and also laymen. Uh, and uh, yeah, 51 times I, I tease people. I said, well, if I keep going, I'll finally get it right. <laughs> so um, Israel has been uh, on my heart and, and uh, for for many years. And it's broadened my education, get mm. to my study of the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, I encourage, I, I directed our program in Israel. And uh, my byline here on campus, Chris, is I, I would say to the students, the question, students, is not if you go to Israel, but when you go to Israel. Yes. And uh, I would uh, and certainly encourage if, if the Lord allows uh, you and my hearers uh, to go to Israel, it's certainly... Uh, gives a perspective and background. It's like reading the Bible in living color, I guess. Mm, what a great way to say that. Black and white. And uh, it's been a great joy to me to see faces light up as they are standing at a place that we can be assured where this, this miracle or this event took place. And Praise the Lord. seeing the Bible in living color. Amen, brother. Wow. Uh, yeah, that, that is definitely one of the things I am praying that the Lord would give me an opportunity to do uh, is, is, is to visit Israel and, and to see that. I've, I've, heard, I've heard many people, uh, my, my friend and, and, and uh, brother Justin Peters uh, oh, yes. has, has been multiple times and has said the exact same thing. He's like, you have to go. Mm -hmm. You have to go. Uh, pray that the Lord would open a door and make a way for you to go. So Amen. that's incredible. Now, um, getting into uh, the Legacy Standard Bible. Um, and, uh, and, and, and as we've already talked about, as I already mentioned, uh, it is an, an incredible translation brother. And, um, so I just wanted to kind of open, uh, open this up, talk a little bit about the methodology, um, and the history behind it. So, so when do you remember hearing the discussion starting about possible translation work on something like the LSB? Yeah, I would say it was around January 2020 when my uh, uh, former student and dear colleague, Abner Chow, uh, began talking about how um, uh, plans are for um, a, a new translation that mm -hmm. take the a New American Standard Bible as a basis and go from yes. And he invited me to be part of the team. Uh, and the immediate team was six 
uh, uh, members, three from the Masters University, Admiral Chow, I, and uh, Jason Beals, and three from the Masters uni- uh, Seminary, mm-hmm. the two Zakevich brothers, Mark and Joe, yeah. and a dear British brother named Paul Twist. And uh, that's the that team uh, that began in January, I would say 2020, yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and you, you, you alluded to one of my next questions. And, and one of the things that, that, uh, that you hear sometimes is, you know, why is it called the legacy standard Bible? And it of course right. is because you you guys are wanting to cement the legacy of the, the NS, the NAS 95. Um, and, um, and, and as that was, was, was the base base text. And so, um, and you know, one of the things, uh, that, that I've heard you speak on, uh, and I'd love for you to to just expound on it here is the 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 stages of what we've seen in the history of English translations, those the, those three stages that we've seen and how how the LSB is wanting to push us back towards one of those that is so needed right now. Yeah, good, Chris. Um, uh, in 1611, of course, began the authorized version or King James version and a beautiful version with beautiful English. Some of the expressions that may not be familiar with us, right? Uh, you know, very beautiful expressions, uh, and uh, and the emphasis uh, are uh, the, at the forefront was the elegance of the language uh, that was used. Remember um, that 1611. This is the height of of Shakespearean mm-hmm. uh, English, and uh, it was beautiful to listen to. How art thou fallen, no Lucifer? Son of the morning, just just beautiful cadence. Uh, uh, And even though some of the words may be unfamiliar to us, we all agree that it's beautiful uh, English, but (laughs) we don't use some of those same beautiful words today. So in 1881 began the revised version. And I would say that the first stage uh, where emphasis was on the elegance uh, and the beauty of the language moved into a stage that was followed up by the revised version, the American Standard Version, uh, the revised Standard Version, and also uh, the one that's most familiar to evangelicals, the New American Standard Bible. And the emphasis in this second period of translation uh, was not a repudiation of elegance, but uh, a, a commitment, let's make this translation accurate. Right. We have to sacrifice a bit of the beauty of the King James Version. Uh, let's m- make it accurate. And mm-hmm. I think the New American Standard Bible was uh, the premier among that in, in, uh, uh, of the Bibles in that stage. Then with the advent of the New International Version in the 70s and 80s, I think began a third period where the emphasis, and again, I want to explain this because I'm not here to attack the, the NIV Absolutely. version in that yes, regard, the emphasis was more on, let's make this readable, okay? And, and, and the uh, translations that have uh, developed in this third period uh, in the uh, 70s and 80s and down to today, the emphasis is readability, uh, mm-hmm. dynamic equivalence are some of the terms that would be used by translators. Uh, you know, it's not so much that we get the equivalent word as let's get the equivalent expression that conveys it in a readable languages. Uh, like, mm-hmm. Now, no one is faulting that, Chris. I want to make sure right. people understand yes, sir. that. That's but good. sometimes 
in the effort to be readable, we might sacrifice a little bit of accuracy. And if if there's a needle going across the screen from uh, the the left elegance to the middle section um, um, uh, uh, accuracy, and then the needle is on the right of readability, uh, we're not repudiating the readable translations, but maybe there's a need That's to right. put the needle back into that second uh, area of accuracy. Uh, of course, we want yes, to be readable, but I've never heard anybody say that our efforts have not produced a readable translation. So let's let's don't sacrifice accuracy for the sake of readability. With all due respect to the dear man, Eugene Peterson, <laughs> there's readability gone right. <laughs> uh, in, in the message. Right. Readable, but wow, there's some sacrifice of, of accuracy there. So Correct. I think that's what the LSB is trying to do, Chris. We're trying to move the needle back into this area that was so championed by the 1977 and 1995 NASB uh, accuracy. Uh, uh, Let's get it in the English accurate to what the author wanted it to be. Mm. Yes, so that's sir. that's the basic overview, I would say. Yeah, that's good. That's good, brother. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that, uh, and, and I feel like you encapsulated that 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 wonderfully. And that that actually brings me to one of the next uh, one of the next things I wanted to talk about with you before we get into some of the textual stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I've heard you speak on the, the, how much of a blessing it was um, to not only, not only that everybody on the main translation team uh, were professors and academicians, but you're also pastors with a pastoral heart. And I, and I hope everybody heard that in, in what you just so wonderfully articulated, um, that, that the goal is to move back into authorial intent, the accuracy, the consistency. Um, but but you but you do that with a with 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 a pastoral heart and a pastoral focus. Why is that so important when when, when tackling a, to, a, 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 a a job like then I don't want to use the word job. I, f- I hesitate using that. But why is it so important to have that pastoral heart when when tackling a project like this? Well, among the readers of uh, any Bible, including the Legacy Center Bible, uh, not only are laymen but there are pastors who are going to be standing yes, with a flock on the Lord's Day and expounding uh, this text. Uh, if we as academicians do not also have a pastoral heart, what are we doing translating uh, for pastors? Uh, uh, mm. What I mean by that is, is that the word has to speak to our hearts as well as our minds. We yes. look at the Greek word, Amen. we look at the Hebrew word, but we also understand that this is the living Word of God, and and Amen. we're translating it for the benefit of laymen and also pastors, who are going to be expounding it. And it's more than this word X means this word Y, like a formula, like a like a chemical formula or a mathematical mm-hmm. formula with an equals in between. No, right. Translation is much more vital and dynamic than that, and we have to constantly have the pastor in mind uh, because we want to help uh, that pastor communicate the word of God. So um, we've got to be pastors ourselves. We've got to be shepherds ourselves. Uh, This is a wonderful task to us. We're committed the oracles of God. 
we are mm. in charge of this. We, we, wow, we are handling this. And we want to handle it not as uh, academicians, not as people uh, just holding a, uh, a, a test tube and pouring <laughs> something in or working That's a good. mathematical formula. We want to keep in mind constantly that we're handling the dynamic word of God because Amen. we want to have that pastor in mind who's going to be doing the same thing uh, when he preaches this word. Hey, wow. Uh, for everybody listening, you need to go back and listen to that section again. <laughs> so, brother, wow. Amen and right on. That is uh, insanely helpful. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I, one of my, again, I, I just, I, I noticed these little things and, and as I've been watching, and I'm going to put links to the videos um, that you and the translation team have done. Wow. Uh, well, that you. are on YouTube. I'll, I'll put those in the show notes and, and, and we'll, you know, we'll, 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 and have been broadcasting those. Um, and, but one of the things that, that I loved hearing, um, and, and I heard it from, from you, I've heard it from Dr. Chow, um, uh, Paul, Dr. Twist, and he's a doctor now, uh, he finished his, his doctorate. Um, but, um, was, was the amount of prayer that you guys spent, um, before, during, after, um, in, in, in begging the Lord to lead you guys. And, um, uh, I mean, it, it, I, I think that, that there are many in today's professing evangelical world who, who would miss that. And just, we got to get this project done instead of stopping and asking for the Lord's help. And so, um, brother, just, I, I just want to encourage you with that. And when, when I've heard you guys talk about that, um, it's an incredible encouragement and reminder. And, um, so, um, you know, one of, uh, and my, the last thing I have, and then I really want to dig into uh, a lot of these textual, the textual consistencies and stuff. Um, you know, one of my greatest helps um, uh, that I've experienced in the last couple of years was attending the G3 expository preaching workshop that Dr. Tom Buck, Vody Bacham, and Derek Thomas did in 2020. And one of the takeaways from that time was the reminder to make sure that you're not coming to the text with, um, with a preconceived framework mm. or um, a, a lens that, uh, based on maybe a, a secondary theological issue, say, I mean, it, pick one and there, there, there are many, um, yeah. and, but, but coming to the text and I've heard Dr. Chow, Dr. MacArthur, um, uh, talk about this, but I'd love for you just to elaborate how important it was for you guys to remain laser focused on staying true to the original languages and getting to the heart of what the capital A author said by what he wrote. But we have a responsibility, Chris, uh, and that yes, responsibility sir. is to be accurate handlers of the Word of God. Amen. I, I remember um, memorizing um, uh, the King James Version: "Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman uh, not to be ashamed, uh, 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 rightly handling uh, the Word of Truth." Uh, you know, yes, and, sir. And the Greek there is is so expressive. Uh, but uh, we are to be handlers of the word of truth. We're handling something sacred. Uh, mm. And Paul says, correctly handle it. Rightly divide it is the way the King James had it, uh, you know. And yes. it, what in the world is rightly dividing it mean? It means cutting it straight, uh, handling mm. it uh, like you handle precious cargo. Uh, you don't yes. handle it around. <laughs> you, you handle it accurately. And we had to constantly be reminding ourselves that we were handling precious material, valuable material. 
and we weren't just to throw it around. That's right. Make it, uh, you know, fit into our preconceived uh, ideas, but to handle it and be faithful mm. to the original authors. Amen. Try to get it to communicate what they were intending it to communicate. It's a high and holy responsibility, Chris, and one that you cannot take lightly. Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for for saying that. And you are so right. You are so right. And I feel like you guys have done that. I, I, I do. Um, uh, one of my takeaways, you know, is the focus on the accuracy, the consistency in this translation. And, and I think what it does is this encourages and admonishes not just pastors, but, but believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to seek to mine the well, as Thomas Watson put it, um, of the scriptures more than before. And what's you quoting that from the King James, I actually have it written down in my notes <laughs> out of the LSB, but be diligent to present yes. yourself mm -hmm. approved to who? Approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. Good. Brother, amen. All right, so let, let's get into let's get into the meat the meat here, okay? Um, the the we're getting into these nuances, these these textual nuances that make the LSB what it is, um, the Legacy Standard Bible, and you know the, the the first two that I had written down were were, were the ones that you hear often. They're they're uh, the the translation of the Greek word doulos. Um, uh, as, as we've seen in the New American Standard and other translations, it's been translated as bondservant, uh, servant. Um, but one of my favorite features is, is that the LSB translates it correctly as slave. Um, so I didn't know if you wanted to expound on that and, 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 you know, what those conversations were like among the translation team and your thoughts about that. Yes, yeah. Well, the word bondservant is really not used much today, Chris. Right. Uh, uh, it, it, you know, it... it you, you, you know that uh, there were guys that came over uh, as indentured servants in the colonies, and they they worked for their owner, and finally worked themselves in, in, into freedom. And from that came that that term bond servant. It's true that they could not determine their future, but it's a word that isn't used as much today. Right. Um. Uh, but uh, uh, the Doulos is not an indentured servant. It's not a servant who's working off their, their uh, servanthood. Mm -hmm. Slaves in the ancient world had no rights. They belonged to their master. They did what their master said to do. Mm -hmm. Even we, we knew that we were running a risk here, Chris, in sure. the word slave, because it, right. it brings up, I don't need to say, all the images of African-American slavery and, and how, how horrible uh, that was. But yes, sir. it's got nothing to do with that. Correct. Ancient slaves uh, belong to their master, and that is what the New Testament authors are saying. Yes. Our douloi, our singular doulos, we belong to our master, the Lord Jesus. We do his bidding. Amen. He determines our lives. Our wills are subservient to our owner. And that's what mm. we need to communicate. Which has absolutely nothing to do with African American slavery. Sure, sure. Uh, because whatever one's color, whatever one's uh, uh, race, we all, if we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, are His slaves. Amen. That's what we wanted to communicate, 
And yes, the prophets of the Old Testament called themselves slaves of Yahweh because they were not to give the message that they wanted to give. They were to give the message that Yahweh wanted them to give. Mm-hmm. And they were his slaves. And um, I think uh, with all the shock uh, therapy of, of reading slave, right? Which we, we know that some people reading, oh, my, my, my. Uh, if you understand it, that I belong to my master, then that's what slave is communicating. Amen, brother. Amen. Very, very well said. Very, very well said. Uh, an- another uh, common thing that you hear with the LSB is, of course, capital L-O-R-D, Lord, uh, translated, and this is a personal favorite of mine, as Yahweh, the covenant name of God. So would you would you expound on that a little bit for us as well? Yes. Well, as you uh, know, and, and probably most of my uh, uh, our hearers know, Chris, that uh, English translations have generally followed in the Old Testament, when the four-letter name of God, sometimes referred to by as the Tetragrammaton, mm-hmm. four-letter name of God, Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey, appears, it, it, it is translated with four capital letters, uh, yes. capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And when it is Adon or Adonai, it is capital L, small O-R-D. And that's that's been a help. However, I've had many, particularly laymen, say, you know, I just read past that, and I oftentimes don't see those four capital letters. Mm, yeah. uh, but uh, but what, uh, well, Psalm 110.1 is a good example of that, where uh, David says, Yahweh said to my Adonai, uh, Lord, uh, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, and then Adonai, capital L, small O-R-D. Uh, speaking about Adonai, or capital L, small O-R-D, as uh, my Messiah, uh, that's really important. So yes. we want people to really know that when uh, uh, our God speaks of himself by the name that he says is his name, that they don't just accidentally skip over those four capital letters, mm. actually see that that is Yahweh. So Yahweh said to my Lord, David said, sit at my right hand until I make uh, uh, your enemies a footstool for your feet. So people can really see. Now, it's over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. Yes. Uh, and, and, and we didn't invent this. Uh, he said to Moses, this is my name. Uh, Adon is a title. Even Elohim, God, is a title. But Yahweh is a name, and we wanted to honor that. Amen. So um, every time those four letters appear, uh, are we absolutely sure beyond the shadow of a doubt that they pronounced it Yahweh? Well, we're about 99% sure. Right. Uh, uh, Here's the problem, and uh, most of my listeners probably know this. Uh, because the commandment says you shall not take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain, Jews were afraid to pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pronounce yeah it wrongly. That. Well, yep. I think that's an over-concern. Uh, you know, uh, God never said don't pronounce it. He just said don't take it in vain. Right. Uh, so they actually forgot how to pronounce it. So the best uh, uh, searches and researches of Hebrew scholars has shown to us it probably was 99% sure pronounced Yahweh. And we wanted to honor him who said that that's his name by calling him that. Amen. Amen. Wow. 
Wow, wow, wow. Again, again, I'm going to ask everybody to go back and rewind that and then go to go to read.lsbible.org if you do not have, well, actually do this, go to read.lsbible.org and just type in, in the search bar, uh, it's one of the things I love about this, this being online, just type in Yahweh. Just type in Yahweh, and you will see those six thousand references that uh, that Dr. Varner just mentioned. Um, so, Dr. Varner, speaking of Psalm uh, Psalm one ten, uh, and I love it that you that you went there because one of the things I wanted to talk about was was Psalm one ten verse six in particular and its relation to Genesis three fifteen. That intertextual connection um, there. I, I want to know if you if you wouldn't mind expounding on that. And 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 in this section, ladies and gentlemen, what we're going to get into is is we're wanting to show the 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 wondrous work uh, of the Lord through these men um, from TMS and TMU as they as they worked through this project and their desire to, with the Lord's help, to to show that the, the consistencies uh, of the text, um, the inspired text, uh, uh, of scripture. So Dr. Varner, if you wouldn't mind, yeah, walking through that, that in Psalm one ten six, and, and how that ties back to Genesis three fifteen and in other places. Thank you, Chris, for raising it's one of our favorite <laughs> renderings that we adopted. Of course, yes, uh, David is speaking about the Messiah and he comes to verse six and he says, he will render justice among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. And then it says he will crush the head that is over the wide earth. One of the most perplexing things, Chris, is that almost every translation will make that plural. Mm-hmm. It is very, very clear in the Hebrew. It's Rosh. Jewish people refer to Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. It, it refers to a person's head. He will. Cr- so the Hebrew actually says he will crush the head that is over the wide earth. And obviously that's uh, 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 prophetic about the future. Mm-hmm. At the uh, Yahweh's right hand, when he comes back, one of the things he will do is crush the head over the wide earth. If we translate that as plural, it, it misses the connection back to Genesis 3.15. Amen. Very first messianic prophecy says uh, that uh, even though you, a seed of the servant, a serpent will uh, crush his heel. He, the seed of the woman, the descendant of the woman, will crush your head. You are not going to win this battle. You are going to be defeated. Amen. And by by translating as, as it's singular in Psalm one ten six, which mm-hmm. Hebrew is, it makes that intertextual connection back to Genesis three fifteen. Habakkuk three fifteen three thirteen. Also, an overlooked text says uh, you have crushed the head of the enemies. So here's an intertextual thread going uh, from Genesis 3.15 through Psalm 110.6 to Habakkuk 3.13. But also, because we have the New Testament, we think ahead to Revelation 19, when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords comes back, he will crush the armies of Satan, and he will cast Satan into the lake of fire. He will crush the head, the one who is the head over the wide earth, Satan's henchman, uh, the beast, will Mm -hmm. be crushed. And here we have the going all the way from Genesis 3.15 through Psalm 110 to Habakkuk 3, all the way to Revelation 19, the ultimate defeat of the one who thought that he had the victory in Genesis 
Wow. Amen. And right on. Again, I'm just going to keep I'm just going to keep that that phrase on repeat. <laughs> so, um, so one of the things I heard you talk about as well, and, and this was uh, this was phenomenal, but uh, get into this continued in the Old Testament. Um, uh, the 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 what you guys did with Judges 14 with Samson. Oh, yeah. 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 For some strange reason, most translations translate Samson's very self-centered comment. Uh, get that girl for me. She looks good to me. Well, as I say, that's what it means. Uh, 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 she looks good to me. But he literally says, mom, dad, get her because she is right in my eyes. Now, uh, uh, alert readers of the book of Judges will say, oh, yeah. Judges 21-25 says the theme text of this book is everyone did what was literally right in his own eyes yeah uh, by samson saying that she's right in my eyes and saying i don't care what god thinks i don't care about the eyes of the lord uh, you know i want to i want her because she's right in my eyes i'm the standard and that's really what is the great problem in the book of judges during this time people were doing what was right in their own eyes by not translating it right in my eyes Mm-hmm. may miss this, again, intertextual connection that Samson really becomes exhibit A in the book of Judges. Right. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if everyone was doing right, what was right in his own eyes, Samson actually admits it. And mm-hmm. so, I don't care what Yahweh says, I, I want her because she is right in my eyes. And so I think that's important, again, Very of consistency and seeing the intertextual connection in the book. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So good. Um, so throughout, throughout the last uh, recent history, I'd say within the last uh, 10 years, uh, th- there've been uh, numerous uh, pastors, quote unquote, um, and, and, I'll, and I'll put those in air quotes because what I'm referring to is, is, is some who have, who have not handled the text rightly, not accurately, as, uh, as we read in Second uh, Peter 2 uh, a, a little bit ago. And, and they've done so um, with the Song of Solomon. Um, and they've, they, they've, they've not handled this correctly um, in, in the way that they've preached it. But one of the things that, that jumped out at me and when watching this video that, that you recently did in Idaho um, was what you guys did with Song of Solomon 8, 6. Um, and, 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 and I'm just going to, I'm just going to let you take it away and let you explain it because it is, it is something I personally at reading through the Song of Solomon a, a, a few times have not really thought much about. And then I heard you talk about what you're about to talk about. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the, uh, uh, Strange things about the Song of Solomon uh, is, of course, it talks about love, but uh, you look for God's name and you don't find it. You you know, and and, uh, well, know that how in the world could it get into the canon uh, if it didn't even refer to God? Well, it does refer to God, Uh, but uh, unfortunately, translators have hidden that uh, from the readers because they have refused to to see that the abbreviated name of Yahweh, Yah, is on the end of a Hebrew word that means flame, flame of fire. Song of Solomon 8, 6 uh, says, put me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, 
For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is severe as Sheol. Its flashes are flashes of fire. The very flame of, now, what is that? Most translations would say a very powerful flame. Okay, a very powerful flame, but the word is flame with the Lord's name put on the end of it. So it actually means the very flame of Yah. Now, if you don't like the word Yah, just I want to remind you, <laughs> we have a famous <laughs> word that we appear uh, say over and over, hallelujah, and that's the abbreviation of Yahweh put on the end of hallelujah, which means praise, mm -hmm. command, hallelujah, uh, praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. So this is the Lord's name, Yah, the abbreviated form of it, put on the end of flame, which says it's the very flame of the Lord, very flame of Yahweh. My wife and I have Song of Solomon 8, 6 inside our rings. So uh, I finally had a, got a chance, however, to, to uh, be part of a team that were committed to uh, showing Yahweh's name in this book and in this verse. So it wasn't just me. They all agreed. They say, uh, you know, love comes from God. Amen. True love of, of a man for a woman of, and a woman for a man. It's permanent. It's powerful. Why? Because it comes from the Lord. And so not only do we see the powerful nature of love coming from Yahweh, we also see that God did mention his own name in That's the right. book by attaching it to Song of Solomon 8, 6 uh, at the end, the very flame of Yah. Amen. Amen. Wow. 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 And, and so for our listeners go, if you do not have a physical copy of the LSB, which if you don't, why don't you? Um, but uh, you need to go to read.lsbible.org and, and look at that um, and study that amazing, amazing insight, Dr. Varner. Thank you. Um, now, now moving, um, moving into the new Testament, cause there's some other things we definitely want to want to want to discuss. Um, so can, uh, some of the questions that, and I've seen these on the LSB fan group and in and, and some other places, but uh, John chapter eight, verse 58. Um, and uh, in, in the New American Standard, um, when Jesus is saying, before Abraham was, I am, the I am is capitalized in the LSB. And, and, and by the way, if you're not familiar, uh, both the New American Standard and the Legacy Standard Bible, if there is an Old Testament quotation that is put in capital letters to to alert the reader that that the uh, this is a a quotation uh, of the Old Testament. So the LSB chose you guys chose not to capitalize I am, and for a very very important reason. And I would love for you to talk about uh, uh, a quotation versus an allusion. No, thank you, Chris. We want to show every quotation from the Old Testament. New. We are committed to that. We want to honor that legacy from the New American Standard Bible, and we want to continue it, and, and we do. But there's a difference between a quotation and an allusion. Uh, and so we believe that Jesus is alluding back to uh, Exodus chapter 3, but he's not quoting it. Uh, uh, so when he says, before Abraham was, I am, he's alluding, and, and he certainly is identifying himself with the great I am. Many people think that the statements, I am the bread of life, I am uh, the way, the truth, and the life are also allusions back to the great I am of Exodus chapter 3. But because it's not a quotation as such, but an allusion, 
we chose not to put it in capitals. So uh, I'm glad you asked that because it shows the difference between a, a, a direct word-for-word -word quotation and you might say an allusion that is alluding to a quotation, but not word for word. That doesn't mean that we are in, a, in any way questioning that Jesus is identifying himself sure. with I am. Not at all. We absolutely to affirm that, but we want to be accurate in the distinction between a quotation and an allusion. Yes, sir. And along those same lines, uh, along that, that same subject, you guys did uh, capitalize a section out of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19. Um, and uh, so uh, would you talk about that as well? Because yeah, that's not capitalized you know, in the New American. Yeah. Uh, Chris, I think I studied Philippians for a number of years before I saw this. So it, it's so exciting when you make a personal discovery that mm. in Philippians 1.19, wow, that's word for word from Job chapter 13. Uh, Paul says, I know that this, this experience of being in prison, that, quote, this will turn out for my salvation through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I remember when I discovered that years ago, and it wasn't, you know, until I was in the ministry, Chris, that I saw this. That is a direct word-for-word -word, uh, 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 quote from Job, and the situation is similar. Yes. A terrible situation. Paul is in a terrible situation, but they haven't given up hope. They are convinced that whatever happens to them, it'll turn out for their salvation, deliverance. Mm. And we believe that uh, Paul intentionally quoted Job, and it does make sense in context. Uh, now, uh, when the, uh, uh, the versions come out of the LSB that have footnotes, we're going to make sure that we make people know that this is a quotation from Job 13. In the meantime, just look at it as in all capitals and know it is a quotation from Job 13. Love it. Love it. Another example of consistency. Um, I think, of, again, Thomas Watson is my favorite Puritan, by the way. Um, I cut my teeth when I was three years old in the Lord in a book called The Body of Divinity. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Cut my teeth on Thomas Watson. It, 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 it's close yeah. to me at all times. There you go. <laughs> so Mine was a hardback published by Banner of Truth Trust. I remember Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, and, and, you know, one of the things that Watson says in there is, is as a diamond cuts another diamond, so the scripture cuts itself. And, and I, I think this is, this is a, a wonderful example of that. Um, so continuing in the Old Testament, one of the things I heard you talk about, Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. Um, and, and, and this gets into these, these small um, articles that you find in the Greek that we haven't seen in most English translations. Um, you guys, um, you know, we're obviously a lot of people, a lot of believers are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, um, but you guys made a significant change um, uh, there in verse 13. Would you mind talking about that? Yes, and, and it's not just a change to be different. Uh, Correct, yeah. Uh, you know, we just did not want to be different. We didn't right. want to just like, uh, you know, change every single verse in the New American right. Right. But when it says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, it's not evil generally. As you mentioned, there's the article in front of it. Now, it is possible, Chris, that even with the article in front of it, 
let me make this point. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. It could be that. But here's the here's why we believe that it's the evil one. Because in the previous chapter, in Matthew 5, 37, the exact same expression is used. Jesus says, but let your statement be yes, yes, no, no. Anything beyond these is from the evil one. So just one chapter away, the same expression, evil, is used with uh, the article, and it's clearly the evil one. Nobody argues about that. And then over in Matthew 13, uh, where uh, Jesus is talking about how the, the seed is sown, and then the evil one comes and snatches it out of people's hearts. It's the exact same reference. So we didn't, we, we wanted to be consistent with Matthew. Right. If Matthew uses it in chapter 5, in chapter 13, as referring to the evil one, i.e. Satan, then that must be what he means in Matthew 6, 13. And yes. of course, it's a very strong prayer. Deliver us from the evil one who tempts mm. us and deliver us from his temptations. Amen. Amen. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so uh, something else that, that jumped out at, at me personally Um um, you know, you you were talking about Second uh, Peter, and uh, and and how how liberals like to like to throw out the book of Second Peter, um, and Peter here at the very beginning of the letter gives us some insight and solidifies his authorship. How how does he do that? Well, uh, it's it's something that I argued for, and uh, when my fellow colleagues first heard it, they said, well, okay, um, we're not sure, uh, but we wrestled with it and wrestled with it, and and, and finally, uh, we uh, we took it to some outsider, <laughs> and uh, he was not so uh, quick because, uh, you know, most translations just say Simon Peter, a slave right. apostle of Jesus Christ, but the spelling of Simon is unique there in 2 Peter 1, it actually should be pronounced Simeon, and it's only used of Peter once else in the New Testament in Acts 15, 14, when James at the Jerusalem Council says, Simeon has declared to us how God saved the Gentiles through him. So it seems to be his personal name. Now, if somebody says, well, did he call himself that in 1 Peter? Well, in 1 Peter 1, he didn't give his Hebrew name. That's right. This gave his name Peter, so we don't know that. But in 2 Peter 1, he puts both names there. You might call it his Hebraic name, Simeon, and his Greek name, Peter. He puts them together. Now, why is that important? And uh, you've already, uh, uh, you know, paved the way, Chris. Uh, uh, liberals just want to throw out 2 Peter. They say it's uh, uh, pseudonymous. Uh, it was not written by Peter. It was written by a forger in the second century who was playing like he was Peter. Well, let me tell you, if a second century forger uh, wrote 2 Peter 1.1, he would not use the rare Hebraic name for Simon Peter. It, he, he would use the Greek word, Simon yep. Peter. But it's like his personal signature, Chris. Right. He puts his, this is what Peter called himself. No second century forger would have called himself Simeon. He would have just 
grab the Greek word Simon. And, um, and I'm sure he won't mind mentioning because he said it on a video. Uh, our, our dear uh, colleague, uh, John MacArthur said, well, he says, I'm not so sure I was excited about this idea of changing this to Simeon, but uh, I think it was 15 words into your explanation, he said, I was convinced. And the reason is, John MacArthur believes in the authority of the word of yes. God. And if Peter called himself Simeon, we're going to call him Simeon. That's right. That's right. He Come writes on. That. Yes, now, sir. in the other places where other people use the word Simon, we translate it Simon. Mm-hmm. But when it's that one little letter in the mini, in the in the middle, Simeon, we are going to translate it Simeon. <laughs> Amen, brother. Wow, I love that. I love that. Um, now, one of the things that, that you and I were just when we were exchanging messages, uh, I put in my notes. I would love to talk about um, uh, the use of of temple versus sanctuary. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that's been something that that's come up, um, in, 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 in multiple circles that I've seen just, uh, just from the outside. And so I'd love for you to speak to speak to that. Yes. There are two Greek words, uh, Heron temple and Naos, which is sanctuary. And you say, well, aren't they synonymous? Uh, not exactly. No. Right. Uh, those who've studied the Herodian temple know, uh, that there's the temple compound which includes the outer walls, the court of the Gentiles, all of those colonnades and porticos and so forth. Then there's the inner part of the temple. That's where the work really went on. That's where the priests worked. That's where the altar of burnt offering was, where the lavers were. And of course, then the holy place and the holy holies. Mm. And the Greek uses that word naos or sanctuary for that you might call it inner sanctum of the temple. The whole structure could be called the temple, but the inner part would be the sanctuary. I was just tracing a couple of references to that in preparation for this this, uh, interview, uh, uh, Chris. And uh, very interesting, when when wicked Judas uh, got feeling guilty uh, and he had this money, it says he actually threw it into the sanctuary. He went right. on the outer court. He went beyond the, the court of the women. He went into the sanctuary itself as far as he could go and probably threw that blood money over the fence into the holiest part of the temple, the sanctuary. Wow. Uh, that tells you, uh, you know, yes. guilty he must felt uh, at that. Now, spiritually speaking, um, uh, when we read in 1 Corinthians 6 that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, okay, but it's actually the word sanctuary. Uh, You are the innermost part of the temple. You are the place Mm. where the Shekinah glory came down in Solomon's temple, uh, uh, in the Holy of Holies. You are the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. So I... I think that's important to preserve, not only for the physical distinction between the outer part of the temple and the inner part, the sanctuary, Agreed. for a statement that the, 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 the Shekinah glory was in the innermost sanctuary, the Spirit of God is inhabiting you people. You are the innermost sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for that, Dr. Varner. Again, there's another section. Go back and listen to that. 
And then you yourself go to the website uh, and type in those words and look at how those words are used and, and, to, and, and just think about that in your own personal uh, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as he has saved you uh, and has made you into that sanctuary of his presence. That, that changes um, how we view um, how we view those two words as it should. Just like, and, and, and as you so wonderfully pointed out, they are two different words in the Greek. Um, so, brother, one of the uh, one of the last uh, last things I just had on my notes, and I know this was a, and, and I'm quoting you here. This was a personal crusade of yours uh, to <laughs> change brethren to brothers. Uh, would you Would you mind kind of unpacking that? For yeah, us a little bit? it was, and, and and you know what, the sun doesn't rise or set on this one, Chris. You know, I right. I can live with brethren, but you know, right. I, ask, I ask fellow Christians, I say. When do you ever use the word brethren outside of church? And they look at right. me and they say, Well, there's the Grace Brethren denomination or the Plymouth Brethren. I said, But you've made my point. You know, you don't refer to each other as brethren, you refer to yeah. us as brothers. So, what, uh, what I call it, Chris, is a church word. Okay. Mm-hmm. They don't normally use it outside of church. Uh, there right. is no distinction <laughs> in the Greek that between brethren and brothers. It is the same word. So mm-hmm. just drop that church word and, and, and reflect what the Greek says. When it talks about the brothers of Jesus, okay, it's the same word that is used for Christian brothers, uh, which implies, of course, sisters. So let's just right. call them brothers. And uh, yeah, it was a crusade of mine, but my fellow uh, colleagues were not hard to convince on that one. <laughs> Right, right. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, that is so good. So good. So, uh, Dr. Varner, um, my, my last question for you, uh, and, and, you know, I know, I know there have been, and this is, this is not as, as serious as, as some of the other stuff we've been talking about, but I know there have been, been many who have asked the question about additions that are coming from 316 Publishing and Steadfast. And of course, you have no insight into that, that, that that's on the publisher. And I'm so glad that, um, that that has been pointed out. But, um, uh, is there any chance, uh, well, and I guess, I guess you, we, you've already kind of addressed this is, you know, when the version comes out, uh, of that, um, you guys are going to have the, the, the footnotes and the, the references that show the interconnectedness, the, the, uh, the, the textual connections that we have talked about. Um, and so I was going to ask you if, if there were any plans of that, but you already answered it. So, um, and I'm, I'm really, really excited about that. Um, yeah, and, well, you, you know, I think we just have to be patient, you know, when yes, a yes. new uh, version comes out, it's down the line before the study edition comes out, down yeah. the line before a study Bible comes out. So I would oh, yeah. caution patience. Uh, Correct. And, and, uh, and uh, all in due time, uh, a study edition uh, with the references will come out. But uh, I just ask for patience on, on the part of, of folks. Uh, mm. and, uh, in due time, these will come out. Maybe they'll come out in my lifetime, Chris. I hope so. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, so uh, let's just revel in the word of God right now. Amen. And, and, and look at it and uh, wait patiently for those footnotes and cross-references to come. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I love it. Love it. Uh, well, well, Dr. Dr. William Barner, thank you so much uh, for, for your time today. 
Um, and, and, and thank you for walking us through uh, all of this. And, and I hope that for anybody listening that um, this has challenged you the way it's challenged me. If, I, if I'm being honest, I think what this has done is it, this is for me personally, as, as someone who's not a pastor and, and um, but, but a student of God's word and a desire to know God and desire to be a Berean is to, to get into being a student of the original languages um, and to, to care about as, uh, as Christ said in Matthew 5.18, Christ said, uh, for truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass mm. from the law until all is accomplished. And, and Dr. Varner, I know I can speak for many um, th- th- when we say that we're thankful for you and the other five men uh, who were on that translation team. We're thankful for Dr. MacArthur. We're thankful for the 70 plus uh, that, that you guys sent it to as you were working on it. Um, and so this, this translation for me personally is, is when reading it, there is a freshness about it. And I've heard that elsewhere. So may we encourage you in that way, brother, and, um, and I'm grateful for your labor. Uh, in the Thank Lord. you, brother. I'm humbled that you would even want to take the time to <laughs> have me on here, and I deeply appreciate it. And uh, let's just keep studying the word. Search the scriptures, for these are those that testify of me, Jesus said. I, amen. Amen. Amen, brother. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to Matter of Theology and uh, head on over. I'm going to put links to all this stuff in the show notes. Head on over to 316publishing.com. Order your copy of the Legacy Standard Bible today. There is still time to get it, uh, depending on when you listen to this. Uh, as of the recording of this episode, there's still time to get it for, for Christmas and for holidays um, uh, coming up. But head on over there. Head on over to read.lsbible.org uh, to, to read for yourself. And um, if you uh, are a fan of the LSB, there's a fan group on Facebook. There's just the LSB group on Facebook. So make sure to support um, support them, support those guys. Dr. Varner, thank you again. And um, we, uh, we will catch you guys on the next episode of Matter of Theology.